We should start. Okay. Um, you want to introduce yourself? I'm Megan. And I'm the other one. I didn't like how I said that. Can I try that again? You can, but I'm going to leave it in. Don't. Leaving this whole conversation No. In. <laughs> I'm And that's where I'm going to cut it. <laughs> That's mean. I know. I, I mean, you could learn to edit. No, it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This week, we're talking about somebody Megan's very excited to hear about. Yes. Kate Bush. Woo! And she's technically the first female artist we're covering. Even though we, the first episode was mostly Ronnie Spector. Oh, wow. Yeah, she is. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. We're great ladies. <laughs> you know what? We This podcast is about what we listen to, and we branched out. <laughs> we branched out for this episode. Because we said it was time. Time. And it was... We did a... Time. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you said time, and now I have a song with the word time, and it stuck in my head. Hey, speaking of time, songs named Time, David Bowie did a song named Time. Really? Yeah, you would not like it. I went straight to Freddie Mercury and then to Cher. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so Kate Bush, um, what was happening when Kate Bush came into the music scene was, it was the end of the 70s. You were asking. <laughs> what? I thought you were asking me that. What was happening? So oh, what do you think was happening at the end of the 70s in music? Genre-wise. Hmm. Were we still glam rocking? Or were we trying to get away from it? I thought we were starting to try to get away from it. They said glam rock, for better or worse, was on the way out. Yeah. So they, the 80s was coming. Yeah. So, <laughs> for the benefit of those at home, Megan just stuck out her tongue at the 80s was coming comment That's she not, made. It wasn't a good thing for everybody. You know... Yeah. Glam was where it was at. Give me some glitter, y'all. Yes. Not Gary Glitter, though. No. Music producers are looking for experimental acts. So, enter Kate Bush. And at the beginning of our story, she's 14. Very young. Okay. Yeah. This feels um, like it's going to be a bad thing. No. Okay. Well, no. <laughs> Just relax. I would have put a... It, if you made it this far in the episode and there's not been like a audio audio uh, trigger warning, yeah, a trigger warning, <laughs> you know it's not going to be that bad. <laughs> so she's 14, and she her, her brothers are in music in a major way, and particularly Patty Bush, her brother, always had strange instruments that he liked to collect and play for her, and they would listen to. Pink Floyd, Fleetwood Mac, a lot of those. And those were her sort of, that was her musical upbringing, listening okay. to those when she was very young. So she wrote, writes a song called The Man with a Child in His Eyes at age like 13, 14, somewhere in there. I think 14. And I'm not played it for you. Thank you. It's not, it's not as bad as it sounds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually one of her more, less it's, um, experimental songs, and therefore a lot of people would find it easier to listen to, I think. Okay. So they find a, a few people listening to Kate's songs that she's writing, and they're impressed. And one of the people is Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd. So he hears Kate Bush performing, okay. and he fronts the money to cut a demo tape 
and send it off to record companies. So she gets signed with EMI when she's only 16. And her. she does her first recording, which is The Man with the Child in His Eyes. So if you hear the record version of that, it's actually 16-year-old Kate Bush, and it holds up pretty well. Um, and back then, it wasn't, I don't think it was quite as common for children to have record contracts. Yeah. Because the first thing they did after they recorded that was they gave her an advance and put her on ice for two years. They're like, um, go grow up, please. Yeah, be an adult. Yeah. Just at least be 18. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what she did. She went away. And one of, two of her biggest influence were Ziggy Stardust, which is one of David Bowie's mm -hmm. alter egos, and Roxy Music. And she loved the way David Bowie moved. So with that advance she got from the record company, she went and found his mime and dance teacher, who was a famous mime um, slash modern dancer called Lindsay Kemp. And I'll show you a video of Lindsay. Okay. I'm just going to show you the preview from one of his shows, because it's a long thing. I imagine looking at David Bowie and being like, yeah, I want to dance like him. Yeah. <laughs> this is copyrighted material, so we won't. We will be cutting this out. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so she goes to Lindsay Kemp, and she stands in the back of his <laughs> class, and he said she's very proper. She's wearing all of the ballet uniforms. Her hair is pulled back real tight. She's ready to learn. She's very shy. And then she starts dancing and she becomes a wild thing, which you've seen her music videos. Half of her music is her dancing. Mm -hmm. So that's what she does for the two years, her record contracts on ice. And if you ask the record company, they say it's to give her time to mature without dealing with the industry. If you ask Kate Bush and her people about that, it's bad management. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know. There's two sides to every coin. So anyway, she comes back, and when she's 18, 19, somewhere in there, she releases The Kick Inside, and the lead song on the album, Moving, is dedicated to Lindsay Kim. It features entirely songs that she wrote herself, and by the time it's released, she's written over 100 songs. So they were written between the ages of 14 and 18. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think, 14 and actually 17. So mm -hmm. very young. And the record company wants to, has one song it's picked out that it wants to be her thing. I want, I want to say it's The Man with the Child in Its Eyes. She insists that it needs to be Wuthering Heights, which you have heard. Girl. <laughs> Girl. Which was inspired by a BBC miniseries she saw of Wuthering Heights when she was 14. Mm -hmm. And she took a few years. She actually read Wuthering Heights, which I didn't even do in high school. <laughs> but I'm an American, so, you know, that's par for the course. What, you are? <laughs> I'm an American from the South. Whoa. My mind's blown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and they release Wuthering Heights. It does chart. Would you like to care where it charts? It's gotta be... It, it's gonna be, like, in the top, isn't it? <laughs> it it's, it is the top. It's UK number one. She becomes, at age 18 the first female artist to ever chart at number one with a self-written or with a self-authored song. Yeah. Well, it was the seventies. They were wanting something different. So after her first um, album is released, she forms a band called Kate Bush and the Bushwhackers. 
Oh no! Yeah. No. Yeah. And they you become... can't do that. <laughs> I know. It was the seventies. Ew. She waited till she was eighteen. So. Ew. Wuthering Heights was different for a lot of reasons from other pop songs of the time. The first was that it had three major key changes, and they weren't just little modulations. She would go up and down half You optics. don't say. Yeah. Um, Neil Gaiman, I think that's the way you pronounce it. Never looked it up. Neil Gaiman? No, not Diamond. Gaiman, the author. Oh. Um, he's like, I've never heard anybody do this banshee music. That's a good way to describe <laughs> it. it. Is. You know what? It, it's true. Uh, banshee music about a book. He was very excited. She's, he's like, this girl's not afraid of books. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So she follows up the kick inside. Girls afraid of books since 1701. <laughs> <laughs> since they learned how to read. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. It's fine. I don't think he said it exactly that way. I don't think he said this girl. He said she. It's just the way it came across. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I misrepresented Mr. Mr. I can't even say his name. Neil. <laughs> Mr. Neil. Mr. Neil. We apologize, Mr. Neil. Yeah. Love the graveyard book. Um, anyway, so she followed up her first album, The Kick Inside, with an album called Lionheart, which she was not happy with. Um, she was disappointed with it, mostly because she thought it was rushed. But, I mean, when you have years to write your songs for your first album yeah. in a few months to follow up, I think it was February that her first album came out and December that her second album came out of the mm -hmm. same year. So she wasn't thrilled with that. And in 1979, she she goes on her first tour. So she's already got two albums out. She's got a number one. She's going on her first tour, which will be her only tour for 20 years. Oh. Yeah. I uh, uh, it was it's described as like a circus of music and it was the first time she was in front of a major audience up, up until then it'd been mostly pubs and a little bigger than that and anyway it was major there was major critical acclaim for it and it was very popular <laughs> of course it was half music half dance yeah don't so, <laughs> <sighs> So, in 1980, she comes out with her third album, Never Forever, which is which is a great album. So, she's thrilled with that. And one of the songs on it is called Breathing. And it's about a reincarnated fetus terrified of nuclear war listening for its mother to keep breathing. What? Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah, that's the basic plot of the song. It doesn't come through in words so much, but that's the sort of thing. I don't like that. Um, yeah. I don't like that even a little bit. <laughs> Ma'am. Ma'am. But Mr. Neil called it both political and totally female. That, that's what, how he described it. Because it's just... What's his deal with women? <laughs> he's a male author, so... <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Oh, ma. But it was very political, and these are subjects that not a lot of other rock and roll talks about. That's because most other people writing rock and roll songs are told to write what they know. Yeah. Kate Bush writes from the perspective of characters, and she writes what she imagines. And that's why it's so. a lot of her music and her themes are so different. I'm just so confused by her. Yeah. Uh, after that, she sings backup for Peter Gabriel on a couple of his... Um, 
new things that he's working from. And it's the 1980s officially. So, yes, yeah. Peter Gabriel. He's a very famous musician. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I don't know him still. I, sure. I still don't know him too. Oh, but, okay. But he, I know he's very... I have one of his albums at home that my parents had. It's your dog whistling. Your, not your dog, your cat. Oh, it's your water bottle. I realized it was so loud. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Did you choke yourself making a point? No. Well, you know, making a point's worth it. Because, <clears throat> you know, I drink water. Yeah. So he used a, a Fairlight machine on that album, which was new, and it's when you can record a song and play it back over the keyboard. So it's the first time that exists. Okay. That's interesting. Yep. And he, she hears it on that, and she uses it in Babushka, which is her next big hit and one of my favorite songs. I don't understand what she thought Babushka was. <laughs> she didn't. She, I mean, it's not like she had the internet to look it up. That's true. She just and heard I, someone say Babushka. Yeah. I doubt it was in like a, uh, what's it called? A dictionary, an English dictionary, or like a, even an encyclopedia. It just so, feels like something that someone around her should have known and been like, uh... Well, she had a friend who had a cat named Babushka, and she liked the name. I don't know if her friend knew what it meant or not. But it still seems like something someone around her should have known and been like, um... Anyway, after Babushka <laughs> is released, it sort of becomes a term of endearment for other people who don't know what Babushka, I guess, originally meant. <laughs> Anyway, but she also uses the Fairlight for the breaking glass sound near the end of the song. And because she does that, and she worked with Peter Gabriel, fun fact, on the album that Babushka comes out on, uh, again, it's uh, Never Forever, she credits him for opening her windows. <laughs> Which could mean anything. Yeah. And he's like, it's more like I cleaned her windows. <laughs> But it's it. I think it's in reference to the Fairlight because it, she specifically uses it for broken glass. Okay. <laughs> Interesting though. <laughs> yeah. I cleaned her windows. <laughs> I I don't know why he made that distinction. It was very early this morning when I heard that, and I didn't want to look into it <laughs> and ruin my whole day. <laughs> it's just. It's just... Well, you said that. That's exactly what went through my head, though. Yeah. He opened my windows. No, I cleaned them. <laughs> oh, Peter Gabriel. Sorry. It's okay. So she works for 14 months on her next album, and it's called The Dreaming. Um, the title track is about the destruction of Aboriginal lands in Australia. So, very political again. Um uh, it's also very, very experimental. I think... Wait, it wasn't experimental before? <laughs> I mean, this is where she got... Wildin'. Yeah. <laughs> In one song, I don't didn't write down the name of the song, She the lyrics are something like, I turn to the wall, I turn into the mule. And she goes, hee-haw. So she brays like a donkey in key. In the song. <laughs> yeah. And it's the one where people are like, this lady's gone off the rails. And I think she calls it her, Every everybody gets a, that lady's gone crazy album, and that was mine. So that, the first three albums, if those are her trying I to find herself. your career, though. 
What? That usually is what ends your career, though. Not for Kate Bush, because remember, she started in a place very similar. <laughs> it was just like the next five steps. <laughs> this album, The Dreaming. Um, and uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I can keep interrupting you. No, that's how podcasts are supposed to work. <laughs> so if the first three albums were her sort of putting stuff out there, trying to figure out herself. This is where she broke herself apart and put herself back together. She puts together her own studio for the next album, which is Hounds of Love. And it features her biggest hit in America, which is Running Up That Hill. Did you play that for me? I did. Oh, that's the one where they're like running on the... It looks like a treadmill, but it's supposed to be a road. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Got you. And they keep on collapsing onto each other's butt. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Weird. So it's the biggest hit in the US in the US. And as you say, the video used modern dance. And this is directly contrasting with what Michael and Janet Jackson were doing. So and it's not very popular at the time, and it still led to her having major success in the US. So that's how much the eighties like that music. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason I couldn't thrive in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> There probably several reasons. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because I could thrive in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> Late 60s to 70s. <laughs> okay. So after, moving right along, after, <laughs> after Hounds of Love, she did another record with Peter Gabriel called Don't Give Up. And in that song, Peter Gabriel's talking about sort of the struggles he's going with emotionally. And she's basically there being the motherly reassuring voice telling him not to give up and of all people do you know who love this song who it's someone you know very well even though you think taron edgerton does his songs better elton. elton john actually credits that song as being one of the major influences that caused him to go into rehab and get sober really yes i do not recognize this peter gabriel man even a little bit we'll listen to one of his songs later <laughs> i'm really like your mom probably knows about him. Wow. That's why Kate Bush worked yeah. with him. Every photo of Pete Gabriel I've ever seen, he looked normal. But that Trojan costume, no. That's probably why. Um. Oh, wow. See, that's not the Peter Gabriel I saw on the front of the album. So I've never played the album. Yeah. Wow. You were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here it is in color. Oh. Oh, it's a Trojan Union Jack. Okay. And it looks like it's painted on skin. No, no, it's not. Oh, oh, the bat thing got better. Oh. See, that's where Glam went. It went to Peter Gabriel. <laughs> this sparkly bat costume. Cake. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to know who he was to see if I recognized him. That's fine. It's perfectly valid, because <laughs> I did not look up any more about Peter Gabriel. It's going to be a shorter episode, because today was launch day, guys. So if you're oh, yeah. listening to this in real time, it's uh, a few months probably after launch day. Maybe not a few months, maybe Ho a month. Hopefully not. Maybe like a month. <laughs> it's a few months later, and we're just now getting this up. We're Something's sorry. gone wrong. Anyway. <laughs> We apologize for our failures in life. Yeah, so it's been a stressful day, but it's been great. Ugh. I cut my finger. <laughs> Megan cut her finger. 
I got angry at WordPress, and Mom got angry that I was angry. My friend said that I was the least hot one in the group. She called me a taco. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're talking about you, Emily. (laughs) Emilia. We're we're doing this on October 20th, never forget. Lunch day! (laughs) We'll get a cake this time next year. October 20th, 2020. A gluten-free cake. Hashtag wheat sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Not really, I love you, Brad. We always love the things we can't have. Well... I love Freddie the- Mercury. <laughs> the most emotionally unavailable man. It's <laughs> true. Do you want that longhorn now? No. I'm good. I don't want it. Why would I want it? I no, I couldn't remember who said they wanted it. I think it was Richie. Was it? I'll take it to him tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember someone saying, this is a sharp knife. I'd like some of these. <laughs> so I took it for him. Well, yeah. I'm yeah. a good friend. Great friend. <laughs> Not a great restaurant patron, but it's fine. I tip well. <laughs> I tip the person who doesn't lose anything by me taking the knife. With how much they upcharge for the food, it's yeah. fine. They're not missing a single knife. Yeah. There's there's no way a sweet tea costs $3. See? Yeah. See, they're fine. You okay. could steal the whole glass and they'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're right here, and this is the end. I'm sorry, I keep on distracting us. No, that's how podcasts work. I'm just giving you an update. Okay. So, after the record with Peter Gabriel, she releases The Sensual World, which quotes James Joyce's Ulysses, which is probably the most terrifying poem to contemplate in the English language. Okay. It's an epic poem about World War I, I believe, from a soldier's perspective. That sounds less sensual. (laughs) Uh, yeah, but again, Neil Neil Gaiman, Mr. Neil, he was all over that. He's like, and she quoted Ulysses. Oh, man. Because she can read. <laughs> that girl. That girl can read. That's not exa- at all what he sounded like. <laughs> that girl does books. 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 She has a book and she read it and she put the song. She's so smart. <laughs> So after the death of her mother... If y'all turn this off, we understand. <laughs> any any Mr. Neil fans in the audience? <laughs> Send your hate mail to middlenamehercules at gmail.com. <laughs> so her mother died? Yes, her mother died, and she split up with her partner, um... I was going to write his name, but instead of his last name, I wrote Del Partner. <laughs> he doesn't matter. Okay. So after that, she retreated from public view with her guitarist, and they had a child together. Okay. And that's what led to that 20-year absence from the music year. More than 20 years. She wanted a quiet place to write. Um, or she said she needed a quiet place to write because that's the only way it works. So she couldn't live the life of a regular pop star, which I wrote at five o'clock in the morning to say pip stop instead of pop star. Oh, nice. Yeah. Anyway, um, 20 years later, she releases, or 20 years after her first album or her last album charted, she releases a new album called Ariel, Kate Bush Ariel, which was very much hated. <laughs> But um, there's one song in there that's just birds chirping. 
Why? To the tune. Because she's Kate Bush and that's what she wanted to do. She also recorded a spoken word piece with Stephen Fry. Do you know Stephen Fry? Okay, he's a well-known name in UK television and everything. I'm trying to think of something you would know him from. And absolutely nothing is coming to mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I have Google right here on this little computer. Yeah, he was the narrator in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which you didn't watch. He hosts QI, which you've not seen. He was in Black Adder with Rowan Atkinson, who's Mr. Bean. Um, he's in a, he's a very well known. He was in V for Vendetta, which you've not seen. That looks familiar. <laughs> he's been in a whole lot of stuff. Anyway, she had him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I was waiting for a, a spark, but I don't think I'm going to get it. Oh, it'll happen. I know that I recognize him. A spark of recognition. Anyway, they recorded together 50 words for snow and he was thrilled but he said, she does know I cannot sing at all. And she said, yeah, you just talk. <laughs> so he said some of the words for Snow were real and some of them were just words she had made up. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is, you know, the same spirit behind Babushka. <sighs> Where it doesn't matter what the word really means. It's the word for your husband's fake mistress now. <laughs> anyway. Um she was invited to Elton John's civil union ceremony to David. David. Mm -hmm, that's good enough. I didn't look up his name. Yeah, I don't know his last name. And of everyone, all the celebrities and the magicians and everybody that attended, she was the person that no one could believe actually came. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they were they come they were coming up to Elton John saying, I cannot believe Kate Bush is here. That's amazing. So Really? No. Yeah. So that's our first female we're covering on this. If this is a shorter episode, we're going to try to answer some of your questions right now uh, for oh. any episode. So we're going to cut over that to that now. And if nobody asks any questions, we're going to be like, peace out, guys. We got to work on marketing. So... Yeah, um, I don't see anything that I recognize. I recognize his face. I don't know what from there. Yeah. Stephen Fry's just in a lot of stuff. Shall we do a sign-off? Yeah, sure. Okay. This has been Hannah. And Megan. And this is Middle Name Hercules. Bye. Bye. Middle Name Hercules has been a production of Megan and Hannah, who don't know what they're talking about. Send your hate mail to middlenamehercules at gmail.com. Find information about us at middlenamehercules.com. Stalk us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr. It's been fun, everybody. See you next week.